The gospel says to you and to me that there is a Father in heaven who in unfathomable love has given his Son to make us his own, to make us his children, his sons, his daughters. And he invites each one of us to accept that offer by faith. Welcome to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths. And uh, Jonathan, that's often something that we hear in the church. God invites you into his family. You can be his son, his daughter. And uh, I remember years ago kind of struggling with that concept. How can a God that I can't see, who lives in a heaven that I can't touch, how can he make me a part of his family? It's just a wonderful thing, isn't it? Yeah. And grappling with that truth, allowing it to sink in, I think that takes some time. But it's a wonderful idea. And we all we all get the concept of having parents and being children of, of parents. You know, for some that's that's a that's a truth that just immediately warms your heart because your experience of that has been so good. For others, that's that's a concept that brings some sadness because there has been some loss or some lack in your life that that makes that whole truth a hard thing. But but we all we all understand the concept and the wonder of having a father above who loves us, who accepts us, who watches over us, who cares for us, who is committed to us. What a what an amazing idea. And that is the invitation of the gospel to enter into that kind of relationship with the creator God through his son Jesus Christ. And as we do, as Scripture says, we become joint heirs with Jesus, which is something that still kind of blows my mind, that once we begin that relationship with God and are adopted into his family, our inheritance is incredible. Well, when we think back to where kind of we start the conversation in Galatians, if you've been tracking with us through the series, we're, we're thinking about a gospel message which says we can't earn God's favor because our, our sin makes us unworthy of God's salvation and acceptance. There's nothing we can do to overcome that on our own. And so we receive salvation as a gift by faith. To hear that is wonderful enough, yeah. but then to hear that on top of bare salvation, God gives us an inheritance in Christ, it's, it's mind-boggling to think about it. And what that inheritance entails, well, what is Jesus's inheritance as the Son of God? It's Surely it's the universe. Surely it's everything. And somehow we share in that. It's, it's almost more than we can comprehend, but it is wonderful to consider, and we're going to think about that a little today. Well, if you can, join us in the book of Galatians. We're in chapter 3 as we continue a message, True Children of God. Here is Jonathan. When the time came for God to rescue a people in slavery to sin, he didn't drop an aid package from a helicopter. He didn't send down a, a list of self-help guidelines. He didn't just write a check. No, he entered the mess of humanity in the person of his son, boots on the ground as it were, and he achieved the rescue himself. And not only did Jesus enter the mess of humanity by being born of a woman, he also came as one born specifically under the law. He was born under the Old Testament law. He was born as a Jew. And he did that, verse 5, to redeem those under the law. Remember that the idea of redemption is to buy something back. In the case of a slave, it is to buy their freedom. And Jesus bought freedom 
from the law and its demands by being born under the law, through living under the law. Unique among all human beings in history, Jesus is the one man who can lay claim to living out and fully satisfying the law of God without fault and with complete perfection. He ticked every box, he crossed every T, he dotted every I. He is the one man who could stand before the Father on the day of judgment and deserve no condemnation, but instead merit the Father's blessing and receive his commendation instead. But Jesus didn't bring redemption simply by the record of his perfect life. He brought it through his death. A death he died not for anything he had done, not for any failure on his part, not for any transgression on his record, but a death he died in order to pay the price of lawbreakers, of sinners, of guilty people who rightly deserve the judgment of God. He died as our substitute, as my substitute and yours. He was able to be a fitting and an appropriate substitute for us because, like us, well, he was born of a woman. He was a true human being. And he was able to free us from the law's demands because he, the perfect lawkeeper born under law, bore the law's penalty that you and I deserve. It was a fitting swap. It was a perfect exchange. What were we in our sin? We were separated from one another. We were slaves, slaves to sin. We were facing God's condemnation. But what has God done for us? He sent His Son. In the person of His Son, He's entered the mess of our situation, and He has done so to redeem us. And so finally then, what have we become? In light of the gospel, through what Jesus has done, who are we now? What are we now? Paul's answer, loud and clear, repeated a number of times throughout the passage, is simply this. We have become sons and daughters of God. We now, verse 5, re receive the full rights of sons. And because you are sons, verse 6, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, so you're no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God made you also an heir. The child of a wealthy family wasn't going to inherit anything until they reached adulthood. While they were still under the care of the nanny, the guardian, they weren't going to get the title deeds for the estate. They weren't going to get the keys for the luxury car. They weren't going to get the stock certificates. They weren't going to get the access code to the vault. But once the heir reaches adulthood, once the guardian's contract is finished, then he receives all that is coming to him. Then she receives all that is coming to her. Well, God's people were under the guardianship of the law, and actually enslaved to the law, to use Paul's language, they did not have access to the fullness of God's salvation. They didn't have access to all that He had in store for them, the fullness of His blessing. But now that they have been redeemed, now that they have been set free, now that the age of the law's guardianship has passed, now that the time has come, as Paul says, well, now God's children enter into their inheritance. Now God puts His Spirit into our hearts. Now we are heirs of His salvation blessing. We call on Him as Abba, Father, we enjoy an open access to Him through the Son. We have the assurance of an eternity spent in His presence. 
We began this morning by thinking about our identity. Who are we? I wonder if we can see and feel the sheer wonder of what Paul is telling us here, what he's telling us in verses 5 and 6 and 7, the wonder of the fact that we are now children of God, heirs of the King, sons and daughters who call upon the Creator of the universe as Abba, dear Father. As we think about this astounding truth, our main frame of reference, our main touch point on this has to be our own experience of being children, children of human parents, of human fathers. That's God's great visual aid for us in this lesson. And whether our experience of being a child in human terms is essentially positive or essentially negative, we need to reflect on that experience for a moment to help the reality of God's fatherhood of us just to sink in and just to hit home for us. For some here, the experience of being a child of a father is essentially a positive and a rich and a happy thing. If that's your experience, praise God and thank Him for what He's given you. In that experience, if that's been your experience, you have had a taste, you have seen a picture, you have felt something of the wonder of being loved and protected cared for and cherished by a loving father, by a good parent. Well, if that's your experience, take all that's good from that, all that you've known and experienced, seen and felt that has been good, and then just consider the fact that God Himself has chosen to make you His own child, His beloved daughter, His beloved son, precious to Him like you are precious to your own human father loved, cherished, prized, special. Through the gift of His own Son, He's done that for you. He's achieved that for you. He's made you His own. And so you cry out to Him, Abba, dear Father. And you know and you experience this reality of being a child of the perfect Father. For others here, the experience of being a daughter, the experience of being a son in human terms, it's actually been an essentially painful experience. It's been a broken and a marred experience. It's one that's brought you more pain than pleasure, more sorrow than joy. Maybe your family has just been so broken that you've never really felt a sense of belonging, never really felt wanted, never really felt cherished, never really felt loved. That's a tragic experience for so many in our world today, and I guess it's a tragic experience of a number even here today. Maybe it's a reality you don't reflect on too much for obvious reasons. You kind of file it away. It's actually too tough to dwell upon normally, and you just need to set it aside. But let me invite you just for a brief moment this morning just to reflect on that experience now simply in order to let the wonder of what we're being told here in our passage, to let that sink in and to hit home. The God of total love, the God of perfect faithfulness, of flawless goodness, that God has given the most precious thing that He has in all the universe. He has given His only begotten Son for you in order that He might make you His own. That's how much He loves you. That's how much He cherishes you. That's how much He prizes you. That's what you are worth to Him. Is there anything better than that in all the universe? 
I wonder how it makes you feel. I wonder how that truth makes all of us feel here this morning. I wonder if the reality has sunk in for us. If we've all seen just how astounding this is, how breathtakingly beautiful this is, how full of awe and wonder that if we belong to Jesus by faith in Him, we are children of the King, beloved children, filled with His Spirit, heirs of His promise. I hope each one of us here today knows that reality, has possession of that treasure. But if you don't know it, if you don't possess it, please see this morning that this reality, this possession, this treasure, this inheritance, this belonging, this acceptance, it is available to you through the gospel. It is yours through faith in the Son. And I hope you'll know it. I hope you'll accept it. The gospel says to you and to me that there is a Father in heaven who in unfathomable love has given His Son to make us His own, to make us His children, His sons, His daughters. And He invites each one of us to accept that offer by faith. And I trust we have. I trust we will. You're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths and a message today called True Children of God. It's part of our study of the book of Galatians. We're calling the series Jesus Plus Nothing. And today we've been looking at Galatians 3.26 to Galatians 4.7. We'll get back to that in just a moment. But if you ever miss a broadcast, you can always come to the website and you can listen online. Our website address is EncounterTheTruth.org. That's EncounterTheTruth.org. Let's get back to the message. Once again, here is Jonathan. We were slaves but God has made us His sons and daughters. We were separated from one another, but God has made us one. That's the other aspect of what we've now become. Back to the beginning of the passage, chapter 3 and verse 26, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one, in Christ Jesus. It's no secret that ours is a world of many divisions, of deep divisions. Just occasionally there is some wisdom in the divisions, a good case for keeping them in place. You may know that there is a long-standing division actually between us Canadians and the people of Scotland. Forty-six years ago, some very sensible Canadian food standards officials took the decision that Scottish haggis was not fit for human consumption. Does, that, does everyone know what haggis is? It's, it's this kind of stew made with all the bits of sheep that are not normally used for cooking. Um, and I, I won't tell you more about it now because it will be a distraction for us. But these food standards officials took the decision that haggis was not meant to be eaten and should not be allowed into our country. They banned the import of haggis. I understand that the rules have recently just been changed and haggis imports are set to resume after a blessed 50-year reprieve. I don't know if you've ever tried haggis. I can recall one unhappy occasion <laughs> back in the UK where I found haggis on my plate before me. And I can tell you I'd be perfectly happy in light of that experience if Canada were to remain a haggis-free zone for the long run. Occasionally, a barrier may be prudent, but there are so many barriers in our world that urgently need to come down 
so many divisions, ugly divisions, that so urgently need to be healed. And history teaches us that it's a hard thing to achieve that. It's a slow process. And so often the results are only ever partial. You can't just snap your fingers and make a divided people into one people. But here at the end of Galatians chapter 3, Paul makes the audacious claim that Christ has achieved the miracle of all miracles. He's taken a race divided along lines of ethnicity, class, and gender, and he has actually really made us one. We've seen already that God has made us sons and daughters through faith in Jesus. The phrase sons of God in verse 26 is actually a loaded phrase because that's the way that the Old Testament people of Israel were described. The people of Israel were the sons of God in the Old Testament. That's a common thing. But now suddenly here in Galatians 3, Jews and Gentiles both together are being called sons of God. They've actually become sons of God, children of God, through faith in Christ Jesus. We're all one, says Paul, verse 28, in Christ Jesus. See, Jesus is the key. Jesus is the point of unity. He is the focus of unity. He is the means of unity. And the logic for that comes in verse 29. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. The great division between Jew and Gentile, of course, came from the fact that the Jews were physically descended from Abraham, and so they were heirs of the great promises of God. But Paul has been at pains to show us here in Galatians that the central and the ultimate heir of the promises of God is Jesus himself. Remember that we saw that truth back in, in chapter 3 and verse 16. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. Jesus is the ultimate heir of the promise. But remember the substance of God's promise to Abraham back in Genesis 12. God was going to bless the offspring of Abraham, and he was going to bring blessing to the nations of the world through his family. And now, of course, through the gospel, Jesus is doing that very thing. As he redeems and calls men and women from every tribe and tongue and nation of the world, from every background, every social class, as he redeems us by his blood and makes us his own, as he fills us with his spirit and unites us to himself and unites us to one another as well, well, we become heirs together of the promises of God. We become one people in Christ. We're all children of God, no longer divided no longer alienated, no longer judged by worldly hierarchies. Now one, one with Christ and one with each other. So often human attempts to unify diverse people groups are fraught with difficulty and with failure. Just think of colonial attempts to divide up territory in Africa in the 19th century and the first half of the 20th century. Often those attempts ended up grouping together a number of tribes and people groups who were historically deeply divided. And what we've seen, of course, is that no circle on a map, no common government, no shared border, none of that was going to magically overcome tribal divisions in an instant. A shared identity wasn't simply going to be born overnight by the creation of a country. And we know that in many cases, those new territories and nations have suffered from much internal division, much internal strife, some of it very violent. 
No political or military force can cause divided people to become one. We can't force that to happen. But Jesus has done it through the gospel. He's achieved the miracle, the miracle beyond human power and the miracle beyond human wisdom. And actually, there's hardly a better illustration of the miracle of that achievement than our gathering here this morning as the people of God in our local church. I guess if we stopped to count, we would find that there are 50 or 60 different nationalities represented in this room even now. We all come from different places. Some of us were born here in Ottawa. Many were born on the other side of the world. Some were born to wealth. Some were born to poverty. Some were born Jewish. Many were born Gentile. But we are here this morning as one people in Christ. And it's a miracle. It's a beautiful miracle. It is a miracle of grace. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. It is a miraculous truth. It is a thing of beauty. It's worth saying, though, that this key statement of verse 28 is open to some misinterpretation. And we need to be careful to hear very carefully what Paul is saying and what he is not saying. In particular, we need to be careful not to push Paul's words so far as to say that there is no longer any significance of any kind to being a Jew or a Greek, a slave or a free person, a man or a woman. He's not saying that those distinctions suddenly no longer exist or suddenly are no longer significant. Each one of those, they're very different categories flowing from very different realities, each of those three sets of distinctions. But in different ways, Paul himself will actually acknowledge that they're all still significant. But what he's saying in verse 28 is simply this, none of those categories change your standing in the body of Christ. None of those categories affects your ability to be part of the body of Christ. And none of those categories must ever be allowed to divide the body of Christ. Those categories, they don't divide us like they divide the society outside our doors. They don't in any way defeat or undermine our oneness in Christ. That's what Paul is saying. In a deeply divided world, in a world where stubborn divisions persist year on year, decade on decade, generation on generation, where sometimes it feels as though those divisions, they're getting deeper and they're not being healed. In such a world, our gathering here this morning as a people of God, this picture of the unity we have in Christ, it's an astounding thing and it is a beautiful thing. It is a thing to treasure and a thing to guard. It represents a reality that no human commission or social project or political endeavor could ever achieve a diverse and a formerly divided people, a, a people who shouldn't perhaps have all that much in common, a people who shouldn't perhaps in human terms know how to get along, but now made one through the blood of Jesus and by the power of the Spirit. We all long to know who we truly are, and we all long to be truly accepted. Well, if we belong to Jesus, here is our true identity. Here is our wonderful acceptance and our belonging. If we belong to Jesus, we are children of God. We are sons and daughters of the King. We are one in Christ.
You're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths. Today's message is called True Children of God. It's part of our series of the study of Galatians, a series we're calling Jesus Plus Nothing. And whether you're listening to the series on the radio as you tune in each day, or if you're listening online, we're glad that you found Jonathan's teaching. And if you're benefiting from listening, I want to ask you to consider a gift of support. It is your generosity that keeps this program on this station. And as you give a gift this month, we want to send you a book called True Friendship, one Jonathan highly recommends, and it's our thank you gift to you as you give a gift to support. Give online at EncounterTheTruth.org or when you call us at 833-99-TRUTH. Again, our website is EncounterTheTruth.org and our phone number is 833-998-7884. Well, thanks for giving and for listening today. For our producer, Mark Bretta, and for Jonathan, I'm Steve Hiller. I hope you'll join us next time.